0: Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me this, this wonderful August morning. Can you believe it's August already? It's just crazy. But I'm sure that there are a lot of mothers out there who are very glad it's August. I know for some, school has already started. Uh, but for those of us who I don't believe our school district begins until after Labor Day, um, I think moms are pretty much ready to pack those backpacks and, uh, uh, you know, get those little feet out the door. So it's been a a very weird summer. I just feel like it's been um some days I feel like it's been long and other days I feel as though it never really started and what's going on. Why is it August already? But I have just returned from a wonderful family vacation and uh uh it just absolutely heartwarming. There's nothing like um Having all of, you know, most of your children, there were a couple of my kids that weren't able to make it, but most of my grandchildren, 10 out of my 12 grandchildren were able to be there. And there is nothing better than watching little babies hug each other and run around and play with each other and hold each other's hands and just be the best of friends. It's just, it's just uh, it's it, it's what making children having children the reward is having grandchildren. That's all I have to say. It's just absolutely wonderful. So, um, but I am I'm back to reality now and back to my real life, and which in a way I was really glad to return to because, um, when you have a, a anyone with a disability, traveling is often hard, and uh, we you know we tried to do the best to adapt to uh, the homes that we rented. Uh, for this vacation but they you know it's not like your own home that you have set up and so sometimes it was difficult getting my son around who is in a wheelchair and when I bathed him this morning I was just so grateful to be back in his wheel da- wheelchair adaptable shower with a handheld and all of his things just right there on the shelf and and I was just glad to be back in my wheelchair accessible home so Anyway, um, grateful for vacations and grateful to be back home as well. And I want to introduce to you today someone who is also very grateful. Um, I am just absolutely in love with this person, even though we barely, hardly, briefly know each other, uh, her name is Nancy Byrne, and Nancy is the author of a new book called Choices, and Byrne majored in psychology at the University of Colorado Denver for both her graduate and her undergraduate degree. Uh, she has worked for an adolescent psychiatric treatment hospital, a woman in need of group support program, a rape crisis center a major police department as director of a victim services unit and several high-risk shelters for adolescents. And one of the things that she says, which I love, is that it is her, she says, it's my soul's desire to give back to the universe and to serve by assisting others on their life's journey. And when you hear about how Nancy's life journey began, the fact that she is dedicating her life to assist others and to help others find happiness in their life is just, I, I just cherish, I just cherish people like her. It would have been so easy for her to become, a bitter, angry, um, um, you know, militant, uh, and, and instead she turned to love and grace and service. And I just can't think of a better person to talk to on this Monday morning. So Nancy, let's start talking. Okay. How are you today?
1: I am great, thank you, Renee. I'm happy to be on your show.
0: Well, I'm so happy that you were able to be here. And I, um, I'm, ha- I've, I'm just having struggles downloading your book. I made the mistake as I looked at it on my little iPhone. I looked at it and I said, "How would you like to download?" Because I chose to get the Kindle version. And it, and I knew the little voice, as you mentioned, the spirit was saying to me, don't do it, don't do it on your phone. You know you need to do this on your computer, but I ignored it. And now it's lost. It's lost in the cloud somewhere. I can't find it, but I've read as much as I can. I've gotten little, little snippets of your book. And from what I've read, Absolutely astounded by your insight, and so tell everyone about your journey of how you decided to write this book about choices, and then we'll talk a little bit more about choices that you've had and choices that you've made in your life. So, talk a, you know, tell all the listeners what made you put down on paper these beautiful words.
1: Um, the book actually was done through automatic writing, so I give credit full credit to Spirit for writing the book. I just, I, it was like taking um, someone dictating to me, and it was, I wrote the book in about two and a half weeks. So, um, and I never thought, I never thought of writing a book. I just, a girlfriend had told me at one point who, that I should write a book about my life experiences, and I thought, well, who would read it? And um, I had tried to put stuff down. It was the most horrible, depressing, you know first chapter anyone could read it was doom and gloom it was just it would have made someone suicidal so I woke up one morning and it was like there was an echo in the bedroom kind of like rushing water and bells ringing and and spirit told me that I needed to write a book I thought well (laughs) you know I I did a chapter and it wasn't it was horrible so I went outside started writing it and came up with this and I've always been so um, secretive and private about my childhood because um, I thought people would look down on me and uh, some people think that, you know, the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree mm-hmm. and so I never have shared any of my experiences with anyone when I'm writing this book, and then afterwards when I'm typing up the notes and everything, I was like, oh my gosh, now everybody's going to know everything. <laughs> I wasn't real pleased about that, but in reading it, it wasn't it wasn't depressing. I wasn't sad. It was almost like, um, gosh, I was so grateful that I was able to get out of that and that, you know, Spirit God was... With me and, and got me through it.
0: Right. And I, I, I think that's so insightful, Nancy, and so good for people to hear because I believe that that truly is a thought process. People think to themselves, if I tell someone that I have a brother that's schizophrenic, then if I happen to be having a bad day, the first thing they're going to think of is, oh, she's crazy too. It's in the family. Or, you know, if you happen to have a, a sibling or a parent that is doesn't act appropriately then it's so easy for others uh you know your children or whatever to go yeah you're just like your mother she's crazy you know so i think it does stop people from getting the help that they need and and it prevents people from being the person the individual person that they are and i am so glad you're sharing that with with people but and i i love what you said too about how when you started writing do you feel like the reason why, when you started writing, um, that your you felt as though if people read this, that they would be um, just horribly depressed? Do you feel like because in the beginning when you wrote, you had you didn't have the spirit, you were more angry, but now this second time you did, like you said, you f- did feel like you were just dictating more, or what? What do you think the difference was in your writing?
1: Well, the first time it was me that was writing.
0: Yeah yeah
1: right book and the second time it was spirit it's i you know who knows more than you know God, the divine, what people need, and how to put things in the right perspective i I wasn't able to do that. it was i guess just too too personal for me yeah. you know i, yeah. I started out the, the chapter it was a dark and gloomy night, you know, yeah Not really, but in reality, it really was, and then I started talking about, you know, the, you know, my first memories of, of childhood, and it was just, oh, and it was just awful. And I actually showed it to a girlfriend who had been telling me that I should write something, and she said, "Oh my gosh, never mind, this is horrible."
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, but I, uh, share with the listeners a little bit about what you're talking about because you do have, you do, you did have a pretty cruddy childhood. Um, just share a little bit what you're comfortable with, with kind of, because you're such a happy, peaceful person. And I think it's important for them to know how you can get to where you are, even though they, you know, as well, they, they have also gone through trouble. So share a little bit about what you, what you did go through.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that this is just my opinion, but I believe it's not the family that you were born into. It's not society. It's not religion. It's not, you know, your life is based on the choices that you make for yourself. You can be in a horrible situation and choose to let it bring you down and depress you and destroy your life, or you can choose to make the most of it and to try to rise above it. So we all have choices whether we see it or whether we don't, and that's the title, why I chose the title of the book. Well, actually, Spirit chose the title of the book, but Mm -hmm. um, I was born into a a very abusive home, and um, my dad, um, my dad beat my mother and me. Um, My sister and brother said they were never, and I don't ever remember them being beaten, but... um, Um, Dad raped me until I reached puberty, and um, I think that the turning point of my life was, you know, I was about 10 or 11, and I remember Dad had gone out drinking, and I snuck out of the house. We lived across the street from Catholic Church, and I was raised and born in the Catholic Church, and uh, it was really late at night, and I thought no one would see me, and in Rocky Ford, Colorado, they don't lock the doors, or they didn't. I went into the church, and I walked up to the front queue, and I knelt down, and it was totally dark. There were two candles that someone had lit for penance, and I was just, I was, I just was begging God to please let me die. I kept trying to rationalize, (laughs) you know, there are people that want to live, and they die, and I want to die. Why don't you just take me and let somebody who wants to live, live? Please, please, I just, why... Are you allowing me to be so miserable? And tears were falling down, my streaming down my face, and I felt a hand on my shoulder. I thought, oh, great, it's the priest. He's going to take me home, and I'm going to get beat up because I snuck out of the house. (laughs) And I turned around, and there was no one there. And when I looked back at the front of the altar, it was the most amazing light. It was just... it, It was a real soft but bright golden kind of white. I just, it was just, to me, I I got goosebumps all over and I was so ashamed of myself for asking to have my life taken away from me. I'd been given this wonderful, wonderful gift of life that I should be cherishing. And here I was just saying, I don't want to take it back. I, um, I ran home because I was ashamed, and I thought, you know, certainly even God wouldn't go to my house, especially if my dad was there. But from that moment on, it I felt as though I knew that spirit wanted me to know that I wasn't alone and that my prayers were heard. It just, I think it just, you know, I know I was just a kid, but to me, it, I just, I just I always thought I was alone, that no one loved me, that no one cared, and from that moment on, I, I just had that assurance, and I've always known since then that that Spirit is always with me and really, really wants to, for me to be happy and to have the best life I can possibly have, and, and gives you signs and, and really tries to help you all along the way. I just, I know that for a fact. And I believe that it's the same with everyone else. We all have help available to us. We just we just don't believe. We don't trust. We don't think we're worthy. We think that, you know, why would God, why would Spirit want to, you know, pay attention to us? Because we're just sinners. We're horrible people. That's not true. We are all amazing, amazing human beings. I think if we're alive, just by the very fact that the breath of life has been breathed into us, we're here for a reason.
0: And I, I like what you said about, uh, at one point in your, your book, you talked about, I don't believe you used the word free agency, but you talked about other people, you know, like your father, Um, who created a horrible life for you, but that didn't necessarily mean that, that didn't have anything to do with you. It didn't have anything to do with you. It was more about him and his free agency. You didn't use the word free agency, but you talk a little bit about that, about, um, you know, like you said, finding your own value in spite of uh, what other people are doing or saying to you and the help that you can get from You know, the spirit or from prayer or, or from what the universe or whatever people believe outside, outside of uh, humans, turning to humans for their help. How, did you ever share that experience with your mother or with anybody else at that time as a child?
1: No, not as a child. I didn't. Um, my mom's read the book. My brother was, said she was so cute because she doesn't read that much and she's, getting up in age and she took it home and read it and she told him that she read it
0: twice it was so interesting in one night (laughs) and was she ever able to get out from that relationship get out from underneath your father
1: eventually yes she did divorce him which was just amazing he She said for some reason, he always used to tell her when he got back from drinking, you know, he was going to kill her. But for some reason, when he said that, she believed it that one day. And she just left with the clothes she had on her back.
0: Wow. And were you already out of the home by then? Yes. And so you, you uh, are you the oldest in your family?
1: Yes, I am. I'm the eldest.
0: Okay. And so I know you mentioned at one point that, uh, you're, according to your mother, she, you, she was raped, and so in a way your father looked at you as almost a hook or the fault of having to be in this relationship, do you think?
1: I have no idea. I'm, I really don't. All I know is just mom and I, and um, you know that we're abused. And um, I always tried to figure it out, but sometimes I guess. You know, you don't actually need closure. You just need to start walking and moving forward.
0: Oh, that's so true. Was he a different man when he wasn't drinking? Was a lot of it just trying to medicate himself with sorrow, you know, because he had his own sorrow that he used alcohol? Did you ever see him not drunk and see a different person?
1: Yes, I think he was different when he wasn't drunk, although he was drinking most of the time. Um, Uh He... My father was extremely intelligent. He was so personable. He had a sense of humor. And he really, um, he really did have, when, you know, my brother and I are talking about it, he really did have a sense of liking to be in nature, which I love. Um, mm. but I think that, you know, this life didn't turn out the way he planned or thought it would be. He felt, You know, stuck in life and uh, couldn't see a way out. So he was just very, very angry, and Mm -hmm. I think that that happens a lot with people. We we feel offended by them, or which doesn't mean we have to put up with them or stay in bad relationships. By right, you know, when I was um, with the police department, and um, I was I'd go out with the officers when there was a DOA or some terrible crime has happened. And, um, you know, police officers have carry guns, they have batons, they have mace, they have all this stuff. And you walk in and you don't have anything and you're a helper and they feel safe. And lots of times people will take their anger out on you because they mm-hmm. finally feel safe. And um, that's the way it is. People, I think lots of people that are very angry and and mean you know, are just, they're hurt. Mm-hmm. And if you could some way figure out a way to get past that and to them, um, you know, maybe you'll be able to help them. It, it has really, it really has worked with a lot of people that um, that I've dealt with um, at work and everything. So, right. Uh,
0: I've heard that uh, before. I, heard, I remember listening to Rosie O'Donnell, and she has a lot of... Uh, you know, verified on camera uh, anger issues. And she said one time, you know, anger is really hurt. Uh, and, and a lot of times when she's had her angry outbursts, it's because she was hurt. And I, I feel that's so, that's so true. I now you, when you went to college, um, was that your first opportunity to get away, to be on your own?
1: No, I, um I had gotten a job. I got, I knew that I had to get good grades and it was the only key that I could see to get away um mm. from home so I got excellent grades and um actually I got a job at um o- 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 um Otero o- 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 Social Services as a stenographer and huh. um so I was there for about a year and then um you know I would come in sometimes just a mess, you know, cracked lip or a black eye, or oh, you know, I was always falling or something. And um, so then, um, and it was it was early on. I had gotten such good grades that I basically was working when I should have been in high school. So um, one of the um, one of the caseworkers um, told me about a job in Littleton with social services. And um, so one day when I went to work, um, this really kind of caseworker, his name was Emmett Colisimo, and he had a friend who was with the state patrol. They brought me to Littleton, and I took the test. And they bought me lunch and dinner, and <laughs> which I thought was great because I didn't get much food during that period of my life, and uh, brought yeah. me back home, and I was hired. And then another caseworker, again, um I went to work, and um, we packed up her car, and she brought me to Littleton. She, We stayed with her brother, who lived in Aurora, and um, she found me. We went to Arapahoe Community College and found a place for me to stay that had roommates. And she stayed with me a week to make sure I was settled, and I had started work. And uh, so that's, that's how I got away from my family.
0: So you had these wonderful people that stepped into your life and saved you, really. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. amazing. And this was this was when I mean you don't have to tell us how old you are but this was in the 80s or when was this?
1: I have no idea. I just, you know, I tell you disassociate when you're going to, it's a defense
0: mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. I have
1: very little um, time. It's just it's um I I know that I was the junior in high school and um
0: so, yeah, it's, it's just amazing what, the, what people were able to do. I don't know if people nowadays could do that legally, you know, the way they were able to help you, but I guess because you were 17, you know, you were able, you were a junior in high school. Like you said, you were able to make these decisions, but how, th- see there again, uh, the, he couldn't, you know, God couldn't take away the free agency of your father. He had to, he had to be responsible for that, but he could put other people in your life that could save you and help you to be the purpose and put you on the path that you had. That's, that's amazing. So then you decided to take your life experience and then you majored in psychology then for your graduate and your undergraduate.
1: Yes, well, um, as I said, I worked at um, uh, for social services in the child. At that time, we called it child welfare. And um, so I just love to hear the kids laughing and being happy, and I decided I wanted to be a a social worker, and then um, I ended up getting married, and I went back to school because I wanted to be a social worker. Um, Uh As the trick it I never ended up being a social worker, but it just, um, you know, to me, I think that we all need to be needed to to feel useful, like we have something to contribute. And when I'm helping people or doing things for people, it makes me feel so important, like I have something to offer. I really believe that I've received so much more, you know, than the people I'm trying to help because that's the most amazing feeling you can ever have is that you know that you can play some small part, just like that social worker and, well, the two social workers, actually, that helped me. I, you know, they changed my life. And um, I want to be able to do the same thing and help other people.
0: Right. Now, you mentioned briefly uh, about your first marriage. And tell us a little bit about that and how you were able to kind of wait, do a little wake-up call with that situation.
1: Well, in my book, I write about, you know, my father had beat me and told me to get out of the house, and I went I went to my um, guidance counselor's home. Well, first I'd gone to my um, principal's home, but he wasn't there. So she said, your dad's going to report you as a runaway. And I said, no, no, he gave me permission. He said, get out. <laughs> well, he yeah. turned me in. And so when we got there, the chief of police um, said, um, you know, go get Fred from the bar and this young officer went and got my dad and you know my guidance counselor and my principal told the chief what an amazing little kid i was i was so smart i never caused any trouble i was so sweet i did all this stuff and um and i was thinking he's gonna let me stay with them or something and he looked at the officer and he said all right um take nancy and and uh and fred home and I couldn't believe it I, I stood up and I was crying and I said, no, no, please, you don't understand. Please don't send me home. He'll kill me. He hates me. And I hate him. Can't you send me to reform school? And he said, oh. I'm sorry, there was no place for me to go. And um, But anyway, in the car on the way home, that young officer turned around and looked at Dad and he said, you know... Mr. Mascarinus, he said, we can't go to your house or anything to check on your daughter. He said that we can see her when she's walking home from school or at school or at church. He said, and you just better hope that she doesn't trip and fall or give herself a black eye or bust her lip or break a leg or anything like that. Because if that Mm -hmm. happens, we are going to lock you up in jail and throw away the key. And my dad just, oh, no, no, I would never hurt my daughter. He just, She made it up. She's on drugs, blah, 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 blah. And uh, the officer turned around and said, he screamed at Dad, and he said, oh, which I was very impressed with at the time.
0: Yeah. He
1: said, um, he said, she is a sweet little girl. Everyone speaks highly of her, and you are nothing but an deafened, deafen, drunk and whoremonger. He goes, you think it over, because we're going to be watching her. And the next morning, when I woke up, Dad was talking to Mom, and he was telling her that he really did want to kill me. But the mom <gasps> right. It wasn't worth spending the rest of his life in jail just to see me dead. So, to me, that young officer literally, because the beatings, you know, stopped, even though I left shortly after that, but he, right. he never even pushed me or anything. He just... Um, and so I thought he was a knight in shining armor, and police officers were just, oh my God, they saved people. So oh, my yeah. husband was a police officer. He had, um, it just um, started as a young police officer, and I just thought that that was, oh my gosh, <laughs> I had Prince Charming. Right. So.
0: But he turned out had- not to be quite so princely or charmingly. No.
1: <laughs> It wasn't, <laughs> um, but I have two sons, and um, I've got um, grandchildren. Like you said, it's just uh, i so. I always wanted a family that I could love and that loved me. Ever since I was little, that's all I really wanted, and I have it. So I'm very, yeah. very, very pleased. And um, I mean, he did give me a, a wonderful family. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, tell us, tell us a little bit more about your book. Tell us, pick out some of the, uh, some of your favorite chapters and share, share those with, with, uh, is, I want you to tell your story about how you have, like how primarily you wrote the book. The demographic is, is pretty much geared for women, but you also work with men and you do believe that men will benefit from the book. Tell a little bit about that story that you shared. When you were working with some um, victims of a train wreck, that just absolutely touched my heart when I heard that story. So share that and then talk a little bit more about some other things that, you know, some other things, chapters in your book that you want to share with the listeners.
1: Well, when I worked at the police department and victim services, I was part of a a group. It's a critical incident debriefing group. And what they do is they go in and they debrief crisis responders, you know, firemen, police officers. um, You know, uh, I guess I I never did debrief them, but paramedics and things like that. But just, you know, on a regular basis, see these horrible, horrible, horrible things happen. And so... um, one time, there was a, a really bad accident. A, um, a young woman, they, at the time, they thought that she decided to commit suicide by parking her car on the railroad tracks. And uh so the whole Amtrak crew was called in, and um, I went in to debrief them, and these men are sitting there around the table trying to be so stoic and so wrong, and they've just been involved in a horrible, horrible experience, you know, but society thinks that, you know, men are um, supermen, they're not supposed to show feelings or emotions, heaven forbid that a man cry and show any kind of weakness, because our society thinks it's a weakness, it isn't, no one is superhuman, and everyone has feelings, so we ran around the table and everyone introduced themselves and told us what part they played. And um, the one person that was just really just trying so hard to keep control was, you know, the conductor. He'd been in the front of the train, and so when he told me what had happened, he said that when the train hit her, she flew right into the front of the window and they made eye contact before she splattered all over the front of the window. And he still remembers her blonde hair blowing in the, you know, in the wind as she was coming towards him. And he was, and even then, he was trying so hard to keep it together. And then he finally broke down and he said, "Um, do you think you could please get a picture of her for me? I, I would love to see what she looked like when, She was alive before she ended up on mine, and he broke down. I think it is so, you need to be able to express emotions. You can't keep it bottled in. You just can't. It'll come out one way or another, like you were talking about Rosie O'Donnell. You've got Mm -hmm. to be able, it's not healthy for you, and I, you know, people don't understand. It's not, you can't listen to what? society, the expectations that society puts on your life. You are the only one that has all the information about you that you need to make an informed decision, but we don't. We listen to everyone else. We think everyone else knows better, smarter, just we, you know, every major religion says Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and I believe that. And if Spirit lives in us, then we have the mind of God. We know what to do if we just stop and listen, if we take the time to listen to our own inner guidance instead of to everyone else. And I think that lots of times people just, they're desperate, it's like a drowning person that's just flailing and grabbing onto straws or anything to try to get one more breath of air, and we think everyone else has the answers because we're not, we don't we don't stop and go within and listen to, you know, everything that's available to us,
0: right? So, and, it's just- and that's yeah, that's so important to that we've even and I we've come a long way, you know, over the last few generations we've come a long way with the ability to share and oh and be free and to tell other people and to ask for help. Like you, you, I love I love your words about asking for help. And and you know making that choice to not always be the one who serves. Tell tell put that in your words because I loved what you said about that. If you're always the person that serves others, that's always the one that's there for everyone else. Then suddenly you need help. There's no one there for you. Put that in your own words. I love the way you expressed it.
1: Well, um, I've written an article and it was something's missing and I think it's me. Especially, I think, women, but not just women, you know, they just, they're caretakers, they're nurturers. You know, you have your child and your body for nine months, you're the one that breastfeeds the baby. Women tend to like win-win situations, and, and, and if you can help somebody out, you know, you want to do it. They're more family-oriented, and, and this isn't to say there are a lot of men out there that are the same way, but whenever You know when you fly and they tell you, the flight attendants tell you to put the air mask on yourself first? Right. We always think it's selfish to take care of our own needs first. You know, somebody else needs help. It's just how can we do that? How can we think of our needs first? But it's true. In the airplane, if you don't put the air mask on yourself and you're unconscious on the floor, you're not going to be helping anyone. Not only that, someone's going to have to take time from helping somebody else to help you. So... I believe that whenever you, any service provided on a regular basis, whether daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, comes to be expected. Mm-hmm. And it's just we teach people how to treat us. If we are teaching people that our needs don't matter, that their needs are more important than us, then and they take advantage of us, then it's really our fault because we've trained them doing it because we have good hearts and we want to give and to help other people, but we don't see the big picture that people come to expect any service that's given on a regular basis. Then if you get sick or you need some help, nobody, there's no one there for you because you're always the strong one. You've never needed anyone. You've never asked for anyone to help you. And then, and then you get resentful because no one's there for you. Well, you've never... Let anyone know that you might need some help, too. And then some people actually end up in the hospital or they fall on hard times and they can't keep giving their kids money or or helping somebody do this or, you know, and then it's just like, you selfish bitch. Mm -hmm. When I need you the most, where are you? And Mm -hmm. it's because they're used to us being there all the time. And also... We're enabling them. We're not teaching them to grow and be on their own. And, you know, we're just, it's just, we want to be important. We want them to need us and to love us. And so, really, we're, really, we're providing a disservice. Um, especially, I think, you know, parents that just, they're grown kids. are always giving them money. They can always come back home. They wreck their car. The parents buy them a new car. It's, it's really not helping, um, Children
0: out at all, yeah, and you see that and you hear that a lot, especially people in the in the news you know that have they 're wealthy and they 've helped their children, and the children you know go back and you know steal from them or whatever and so you it 's one of those things that you know intellectually is not a good thing to do, but it 's definitely hard. Uh, emotionally not to continually give and give and give to your kids, but you're right. It gets to be something that then is expected. And when you finally say, okay, now we're broke too. Now we're both homeless. Then, you know, you, it's not a win. You're right. It's not a win-win. You're absolutely right. Um, I, so I love, I just love how, how do you address when people come to you, like, like you say, wanting to work with children? When you talk about choices, you must have people that say to you, what choice do I have? What, I, I don't have a choice. I have to stay in this abusive situation or I have to continue to work at this horrible place with this horrible boss. Otherwise, how would I, you know, put a roof over my head? How do you counsel people that give you that back answer when you say you have choices? You know, it's,
1: um, it's really, um, I think, difficult for people to see that they do have choices. Um, This isn't about counseling, but my husband and I were moving to Whitney Island, and um, we were coming back from from Seattle, and um, the man that was driving the shuttle to take us to the airport um, was telling us that it's very depressing in Seattle, that people commit suicide all the time, and that he just doesn't, He doesn't like it there at all. And I said, well, then why don't you move? Why are you staying? And he said, well, where can I go? My family's here. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. Instead of just picking up and moving, he's going to stay there, and he's already depressed, and he hates it, and he's talking about the suicide rate. And we don't see, we it's kind of like, you know, human beings have blinders on. We don't see the big picture. We just look narrowly through, you know, the darkened glass. We just see what's in front of us. And sometimes what you don't see is more important than than what, what you do see. You know, spirit sees the whole world, the whole universe, and is able to orchestrate things. It's like a... It's like a big musical production. You have to get the perfect building that people want to come to, that's easily accessible, that has all the right acoustics and, and, you know, is pleasing to the eye. You have to get all the wardrobe people in line and and have the most fantastic wardrobes. You have to get the orchestra put together and, and everything in place. You have to get the the stage set up and the stage hands in place and then the conductor and, the you know, the band leader and then just so that you can walk on stage and, you know, knock their shoes off. But we don't see that. We just think, ah, it's overwhelming. Oh, my gosh, I could never do this. I could never orchestrate this. I could never get the band and the da-da-da. And it's just, you don't have to. You don't have to. All you have to do is ask for help. It's like that verse that we talked about, you know. If you asked your father for a loaf of bread, would he give you a scorpion? No. We can ask. We have the right to ask. We're part of the family. We belong. <laughs> you know, ask and, and, and believe. And it's, I just, I, I know it doesn't sound like it makes sense, that it really is true. If you truly believe and you ask and you trust. And that's why I'm moving to Whidbey Island, because Spirit told me that that's where I needed to go, and I wasn't excited initially about moving to an island because my dad tried to drown me once as a little kid. And when you're breathing in that water, you're trying to breathe and you're getting water in your lungs, that's terrifying. And You can't see and then here I'm going to be moving to an island that's surrounded by water. (laughs) (laughs) So we get on the road and it says, in case of a tsunami, climb the high ground and I'm hyperventilating. (laughs) But Spirit said, I still have a ways to go. I need to learn to trust. And I need to learn to let go because I have had a real hard time letting go of a marriage, um, jobs I didn't like. I just, a, a home that I just, I really love where I'm at, but it's, it's time to move on and it's a new adventure and I just have to be able to fully trust spirit and that this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, so I need to put my, You know, my actions, I guess, where my words
0: are. (laughs) Well, I like what you said too, uh, Nancy. Tell everyone, and just, we have about, we just have a few more minutes left, but tell everyone, I love your perspective of the spirit and also about our ancestors and other people that are not just earthly people that are here for us, but people that have either passed on or, 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 I tell everybody what is your perspective on people that are looking out for you and people who are are who want you to succeed in whatever your purpose is here on earth?
1: Well, I believe that before you're even born that your soul knows what um, lessons life lessons you need to learn to grow and to have a fulfilled life. and I believe that you choose. Family you're going to be born into you choose lots of the experiences because your soul is a lot wiser than your brain is. And so, when people say, Why would a God do this? Why would a God give us this, you know, this problem or this disease or this? I believe actually that, you know, well, I would never want to go through my childhood again, and I would never hope that anyone else would have to go through it. It made me who I am today. And I um, finally actually really love who I am. I just, the first time in my life, I, I feel that I have worth and that I have something to offer the world. And I love being to me. And I wouldn't have had the compassion had I not been through it myself. I wouldn't have understood. I mean, some people just say, you know, get over it, or oh, grow up, or you know, that was then, this is now, you know, you were a kid then, you're an adult now. It's easier said than done. And everybody handles things differently. Some people, it takes longer to grieve. Some people, you can't just go in and tell somebody to just get over it. You need to Mm -hmm. understand where they're coming from and, and try to be helpful, not just, you know. I also believe that well, I have a grandfather, um, that is the crossed over, and, um, I, I know that he has come, um, to me. And, um, in fact, I, I got a, a reading from this lady, um, just to confirm some things that I wanted to know. And she said, um, do you like wine? And I said, no, I really don't. My husband likes wine, but I don't. And she said, well, um, do you go to vineyards a lot? And I said, no. And she said, well, Louis is here. And that's my grandfather. She said, he is the most amazing uh. man. Oh, my gosh, I just love his energy. She said, but he, he told me he always comes and sees you, and there's grapevines everywhere. Well, I have grapevines all over the front of my house.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: All around the uh. sands, and they come up over an arch. And so you know, she she described my grandfather to a and um you know, and described the grapevine. So I really feel that they're there. They want to help you. And um mm-hmm. you know, a young young woman that I know, she's also writing a book and it's Autumn Shield, she's on the cover of my book, but had contacted me one time and said that um She had been friends with these three brothers and one of them had been killed in a car accident. And um, so she said she was asleep one night and he came to her in a dream and she sat up straight in bed and there he was sitting on the edge of her bed. And she freaked out. And she said, people always used to tease him because he had a really, really hairy leg. So she reached down and touched his leg because she thought she was dreaming and it was hairy. She was like, oh my God, what do you want, what do you want? And he said... I need you to go talk to my family, and I can't get to them. They're so grief stricken, and they're blaming themselves. They think that I committed suicide because we had an argument that night. I didn't commit suicide. I I made it was a bad judgment in error, and I didn't Uh... to my car. You have to tell them because they trust you. They'll listen to you. And she was like, "What should I do? What should I do?" I said, "Well, go tell them." You know he's coming to you for help because this family is too grief stricken and they're filled with you know self blame and they won't listen to him, so they do want to tell us you know they don't i i think when I believe that when people cross over they they see the big picture it's not like us they don't hold mm-hmm. resentment they don't hold grudges they they want you to be happy and to understand
0: right. Right. And if we believe in a God and we believe in a life after this life, why is it so hard for for people to believe that they, you know, are still concerned about their family, that they still are looking after their loved ones that they might come and visit? Why is that such a scary or awkward thought for people to acknowledge? I I don't understand that, because, you know, if we are if we believe that we will be together someday with our relatives, then where are they? Then they're with us still. And so I, I just, I just, I so concur with your thoughts and with your feelings. And, and I especially loved what you said about, you know, that we do have a purpose. I love that you expressed the sorrow that you had to go through to find the joy, which you are now living. And, and I've, I've read so many things lately where people have said, oh gosh, who was I just talking to? Where someone said, um, Oh, my daughter, my daughter who is struggling with an autistic child and, and three other ram, rambunctious children. And she said she heard someone the other day say, why did I think I was supposed to be happy all the time? Why did I think my life was supposed to be happy all the time? But, but people are given that impression that they're, that if we have sorrow, if we have bad days, if we have bad, horrible experiences, that somehow God has left us or that somehow um, you know, we failed somehow, but in reality we need those experiences to really truly find our purpose and our joy. And I just love the way you the words that you use to describe that. So Thank tell you. everyone, Nancy, tell us how we can get a hold of this beautiful book that you've written. Um, choices
1: is available through Balboa Press. It's available through Amazon. Um, and it's also available to Barnes and Noble online. It's currently available through Tattered Cover, but that's just in the in the Denver area, Denver, Colorado. Okay. So, and um, my last name is Burn, Byrne B Y R N E because someone said they were trying to find my book and um, they had misspelled my last name and they came up with something. Quite different than my
0: book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we don't want to go through those choices.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, yes, and your your website is www.choices-nlb.com, and you can also get the book from that, right? That You have a link there that connects you to Amazon or Balboa, is that correct? Uh, no, actually I don't. I'm
1: having my website. I re, um, totally revamped and um, this young man is putting it, it all together because I did not have that. But um, if, if we have just one more minute, can I read something that my automatic writing told me and I believe it applies to everybody. Oh, please. please. Okay. I was asking um, Spirit, I, I wrote my dearest friend and mentor, tell me what you are trying to teach me. I love you Nancy, my prize student. Actually you got it. The mystery of life is to simply live it, Nancy. All else is frosting on the cake. You will serve millions. You will reach into the hearts and souls of the multitudes. But if you do not live your life fully and wholly, every minute of it, Nancy, all is lost, at least for you. For you must learn and know without any doubt that you are worthy and deserve to live your life just you spirit and i believe that applies to all of us we run around like rats in a maze just to end up back where we started from we don't enjoy this miracle called life we think it's a drudgery we think we have to be miserable we have to be in jobs that we hate associate with people that we can't stand just because we're supposed to be nice people we are supposed to live our lives for us and to just revel in it and enjoy every moment. It is such a mir- a miraculous gift. It really is. And we've all been blessed with it.
0: And I love how you've been able to balance that concept uh, with the service that you render to others. So you you, you found that, that way of serving others, but also serving and taking care of yourself. And that's something that I think is hard for people to find that balance. But I love your words, and I think you've been able, and I love when you address, it's not just a prayer that you actually physically write down your questions. You write down what we would consider a prayer or a query to the Spirit or to Heavenly Father or to a God. You write it down, and then you wait for that answer, and you write down the response. I love that.
1: Yeah, it really works for
0: me. Things yeah. Really work. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I just, I just think this has been such an enlightening hour that we've had together, and I really encourage uh, those of you quickly. Only after this program, not until, but after this program is over, to get on Amazon or get on Balboa, and please get a copy of Choices. It sounds as though it would be a quick read and probably something that you could, uh, you know, really not want. It'd be a page turner. It sounds like it's a page turner, and from with a little bit that I've been able to get my hands on, and from talking with you, I know I can't wait for um, my. I have finally had to order a hard copy because I, like I said, I lost my. I lost my other copy in the cloud somewhere, and I can't find it. But I can't wait to get it in my hands. So thank you, Nancy. I can't wait. I hope someday, now that you're moving to the Pacific Northwest, I hope that we will have an opportunity to meet and that we can sit down and have an even longer conversation. And and uh, I have just so many things that I want to ask you. So I can't wait. Let me know when you move to Woodby Island so we can connect somewhere.
1: I will. I look forward to that. Thank you so much for having me on your program today.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Have a great day. Bye bye. Bye. Oh my gosh. I love what she said and I love how she talks and gives, um, the spirit the credit for the book that she wrote. That there, that when she tried to write the book, it was angry. It was dark. It was, um, not something that would be, you know, pleasant for other people or, or that people would learn from. But when she finally let go of, of of her she you know she was able to write a book that actually helps and and gives other people a, a, some, the information that they might need to help themselves so let's take a quick break and we'll be right back welcome back to heaven sent and bent on talkzone.com here's Renee Steelman thank you thank you so much for coming back after our break I really enjoyed speaking with Nancy today, and I hope you did as well. Remember that you can listen to this podcast again on my blog. You can find it at www.heavenandnot.com. Heaven Sent and Bent is my show on talkzone.com, and I really enjoyed spending this time with you today. Remember my favorite quote, Albert Einstein, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And I really believe that Nancy told us and showed us that today. So have a great week. Look at everything as though it's a miracle. Find joy in your life. Bye-bye.